Hello, and welcome to episode 10 of Expertise is Overrated, the podcast that takes the time to answer the questions you didn't know you didn't want the answers to. I'm Vib. And I'm Sean, and neither of us has any clue what we're talking about. Before we get to the episode, let's award the much-vaunted Expertise is Overrated Tinfoil Award. Now, as a reminder, this is an award that we give out at the start of each episode to the person who had the most ridiculous points in last week's episode. And this week, I think for the second week, no, not the second week in a row, but the second in, second time in three episodes, you're getting it, which is, is really exciting for me. <laughs> yeah, it's it was a pity tinfoil, you know, we started to feel bad for you. I'm not, I'm not having this. Every time I get it, it's because I've been an absolute moron. But every time you get it, it's some sort of pity tinfoil for me. And frankly, I'm done with this crap. Well, it, you said it, something stupid. No, I mean, because every time I get it, it's for objectively correct things. No, this is the point. Every time you get it, it's for (laughs) provably wrong. Anyway, so last week when we were discussing uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, what did you say? I said that Loki is definitely not dead. Definitely. You said 100% 100 definitely not not dead. And given that we heard his neck break and saw him turn purple, and then he was left on a ship that was exploded with a reality, with an infinity stone. All right, yeah. He's dead, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? I will will inscribe this shiny hat with with the statement, Loki is alive, and then I will hand it back to you, and it turns out he is. (laughs) And it'll be a glorious day for all. I I have just remembered that the uh, Disney Plus uh, Loki show starts in two days time so it i could does. be proven wrong really quickly <laughs> uh i think we should do a little um expertise is overrated reviews on that series especially if loki is alive at the moment. <laughs> if, if we don't do one you know what happens dear <laughs> listener absolutely absolutely I, well i'm going to give you the tinfoil this week somehow we'll see oh we'll it'll see happen we don't worry um we had a First, couple of yeah no yeah. go ahead go ahead yeah, sorry. Uh, first, we, 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 we've got some feedback um, from our dear listeners once again. The first one, uh, a, a very close personal friend of mine, Justine. She told me she wanted to have a proper catch-up soon so she could not talk to me in person for saying all Star Wars films are bad. <laughs> yeah, hmm, I, I feel... That's I feel amazing. Uh, yeah, she's got a point. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a point, but just to reiterate, we are both massive fans of the Star Wars films. They're we all are. excellent, we but are. they're also all terrible. Yes, and and I think Justine, we've never met, um, and you'd like me less than you like Vib, and that's probably saying something. But um, <laughs> yeah, we we if if you're unhappy about that, you're not going to be happy when when we come out swinging in a few episodes' time about proving that they're all terrible. Um, but oh no, I also have uh, I also have a little bit of feedback. So my wife listened to her first ever episode of Expertise is Overrated. She also listened to the Star Wars episode. She listened to the whole thing, and then she said, "Didn't hate it," which oh. you know that's about as good as any of us were expecting. So I just nodded and said thank you, and then the conversation moved on. I mean, I I'll I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> to be honest, I'll take it. That's that's. I'm gonna just go out and say I felt that's high praise. <laughs> it, it, it is our um our tastes in fiction don't really overlap very much. So actually, I I don't I didn't hate it. Is is pretty high praise. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I mean, as ever, please do you know give us any and all feedback that you mm. want. Uh, Definitely. Um, and actually, just before we get to the main part of this episode, and, and it, it's a really good one, we're very excited. We'd both just like to say thank you to everyone who's been tuning in to listen to our absolutely insane ramblings. We never really expected to make it to 10 episodes. We were fairly sure that mm. we'd have just fallen out by now. <laughs> it, it, yeah, more so than usual, that is. Yeah, and, and the fact we're still going really is, I think, down to the fact that people like you are, are tuning in to listen to all of this nonsense so for that again thank you very much and we we hope to keep recording for as long as people are willing to listen to our nonsense you are well said for once fully agree with you how about that (laughs) how about that 10 episodes yeah that is actually kind of crazy yeah it's it it's it doesn't really bear thinking about it's been fun though it's been fun and and to you know give a slight teaser there's a, a, a hot take coming 
in the not too distant future. Uh, we'll see if we survive that one because it'll be me doing it this time. <laughs> I'm really, really looking forward to that. That might be the uh, end of it. <laughs> that, that is also some good sizzle. Well done. I know, right? I know. Got to, got to get the sizzle going. Got to get the sizzle going. Right. So, shall we, shall we get to the meat of it? Well, I think before we move on, happy birthday to Carl Urban. Oh yeah, of course. Happy birthday, Carl. Um. Yeah. Let's move. Right. Today, as we mentioned last time, we want to talk about early access, the practice of selling, this may come out slightly loaded, unfinished video games to the general (laughs) public, um, and then continuing to develop them while they're in circulation. Um, I think probably to give a bit of context, we should both explain where we come, how we come to this, right? Because I guess... We're about the same age. We both grew up in an era where you got video game, uh, computer game demos in magazines. Mm -hmm. I remember that. I remember just as Steam was becoming a thing uh, before it was sort of the behemoth that it is now being able to download demos of games for free off Steam back when download rates were measured in kilobits per minute. And something changed. Something to change. Uh, yeah, do you, um, remember, you remember the days of like uh, those the Windows games that came on discs? Do you remember discs? I do. Also mentioned cartridges back in the day, and you know when you bought a game, it was actually finished. Um, <laughs> We're definitely coming on to that. <laughs> um, I, th- I think we need to frame frame the conversation. This this has the potential to one be quite controversial, shock horror, but also I think. Early access means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So, I mean... Yeah, uh, to be honest with you, up until quite recently for me, it wasn't ever really a thing that I paid an awful lot of attention to. Okay. And sort of having thought about it the past few days, uh, I I don't actually know why I didn't give it much thought, because it is... It's a huge shift in how video games are marketed i think yeah and i wonder if part of that is because i think i do predominantly game on console still more so than pc i mean i I play on both Uh, and i think there's i think the sort of playstation xbox there's a bit less of an early access market perhaps i don't know but we can come on to that but i think that's 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 a really good really good question um no, I think I'm I'm more of a PC gamer, so I may have seen it more. But what I'm... what was it? What was the moment for you that that made you think, "Wow, this 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 is a really interesting discussion"? It was Bannerlord, I think, or Baldur's mm. Gate three, which are on our list of things to talk about. I think towards the end of the the episode, but yeah, there was something about those two launches in particular, and they were quite quite close together in time, that really hammered home to me that there was something something fundamental seemed to have changed and I'd missed it. And I don't know whether it was because I spent some time not doing that much gaming um, just because I was far too busy with, with work um, or, or what it was, but I find myself really yearning for the days when you went down to game or electronic boutique or whatever it might've been. CAX. Yeah. Yeah, CAX. And you bought, a jewel case or a DVD case in later years and it had a disc on it or multiple discs or even a cartridge as you, as you said and you put that into your PC or your console and you had a finished game and it just worked and that was it there was no DLC there were expansions but I I feel like they're different and you went out and you bought those as well and everything got installed I don't know some, I decided something had changed and, and I wanted to try and work out um, with you whether or not we think that that change has been net good or net bad. Yeah, absolutely. I think Because I think that's a, that's a really good discussion. Um, fr- from the way that you phrased early on, I'm going to say that you're probably tending towards not being a massive fan. So I think I was, but but then I started looking... I mean, we need to come on to this. Looking at the list of games that had been 
through early access. And mm. God, there are some good games on there. But before we before we get to that, shall we? We went and looked at so early access for those who who don't know and trying to be slightly less prejudicial is the practice of putting a game at before version one, right? So if you think version one is your release version, version not point five, etc., um, will be made available for sale on Steam, which is a massive video game distribution platform with the, the caveat warning this game is in in early access essentially be buy buy at your peril yeah and, and i think that the sort of industry professionals would probably refer to this as, as some sort of alpha access to your game or maybe even like a paid alpha type thing which is interesting right because because i think quite a while now we've had beta access to games uh, and i know that mainly from uh, games that have a big multiplayer component, right? So your, your Call of Duties, your Battlefields, etc., where they just get the community to onto a test server to make sure that everything works and to see what needs tweaking, etc. Yeah. You know, get a good balance. But that's that's sort of in the framework of a of a fully functioning release level game almost. And that's why they call it beta access, right? Because mm-hmm. they, they don't need to do much other than tweak a few stats here and there. Po- ideally, at that exactly, and then and then they release it. So. The fact that early access games can be said to be an alpha, that that uh, could yeah. possibly raise some flags, no? I, I I think so. So we've got here the the Steam definition of early access, which I thought might be quite illuminating. So quoting the definition, get immediate access to games that are being developed with the community's involvement. These are games that evolve as you play them as you give feedback, and as the developers update and add content. We like to think of games and game development as services that grow and evolve with the involvement of customers and the community. There have been a number of prominent titles that have embraced this model of development recently and found a lot of value in the process. We like to support and encourage developers who want to ship early, involve customers, and build lasting relationships that help everyone make better games. This is the way games should be made. Yeah, it's quite a statement to end on, isn't it? It's a really punchy statement, isn't it? Um, yeah, because especially on the Steam side, that that's like highlighted blue, right? So they, yeah. they really, they really want to get that point across that they like this as a model. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, they they also have uh, another section which I think is important for the consumer, which they 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 sort of hide a bit further down the page. At least that's mm-hmm. how I that's what I thought. And it, it says, "When will games release?" Right. They say it's up to the developer to determine when they are ready to release. Some developers have a concrete deadline in mind, while others will get a better sense as the development of the game progresses. You should be aware that some teams will be unable to finish their game, finish in like quotation marks. So you should only buy an early access game if you are excited about playing it in its current state. Now, so fundamentally, that, that I agree with. Uh, well, absolutely, but it's... You know, on the one hand, they're saying this is the way games should be made, and then further down, they are conceding that they made the games may actually not technically be fully made. <laughs> so, yeah, and that's problematic. That, that should raise an eyebrow. Yes. I think we we are encouraging consumers to pay real money for a product that may never be what is promised. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that 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 doesn't quite sit well with me, you know. Although I I do appreciate the fact that they say, you know, you are essentially paying money to play the game as is now, and it may never mm. change. Yeah. Which then I suppose it's kind of fair. Yeah. Just just uh, we, we need to get into specifics because I think there are loads of different games that have used or are still in the early access model that are all doing it differently and probably are the best way to discuss this. But one thing that I have a slight hang up with is cost, right? So at, at the moment of recording, I checked this 10 minutes ago, there are 5,746 games with the early access oh. tag on Steam. So 5,746. Wow. So of those, Nearly 
4,000 are marketed at less than £20, or in, another, in other words, more than 1,700 unfinished games on Steam are on sale for more than £20. And Steam is saying these, these might never be finished. No. You want me to be your beta tester or even your alpha tester, but still pay full value for the game? That's where I really start to struggle with it. Because it's, outsour- yeah. it's outsourced QA, isn't it? Is it? Am I missing something? I don't think you are. Uh, and, and just to put that number into a bit more context, I think as of February 12th this year, Steam reached 50,000 total games listed. So, so saying that over ten percent yeah. of games are early access, according to Steam. Um, yeah, and so paying what effectively amounts to full price. Yeah, but but I guess they kind of have to do that, right? Because the whole idea behind it is that you buy the game early, flaws if there are any. Uh, and, and all, but you're still playing the game that you want to play. But the but the developer is transferring all of the economic risk of the game to me. How, how do you mean? So, if I'm a developer and I'm making a video game that I need to sell at £30 per copy to break even, but I haven't finished the game and still need to pay QA testers, for example, I can release it into early access at £30 per copy, have people buy the game unfinished uh, in the expectation that the game will follow its roadmap that I publish when I put it into early access, because that is what people think. And I've, I, I've like shifted a load of my failure risk onto the consumer. Yes, uh, but the consumer is not protected in some way. I think we, we need to start talking about specifics. Yeah, no. I think so. Because sometimes, if, it, if you can show that the developer was just lying, and I think the best example of this is a game called Goddess, or Godus, I don't know how you pronounce it. Yeah, um, God, Goddess was my first Goddess. thought on that one. Um, that was released into early access, I think, in 2013. So not long after the early access program on Steam started. And it just sat there for years and very few uh, improvements were made. And then at some point, the combat engine was released as another game that you could also pay early access to get into. And the promise was always that it would be wrapped into the game. But it never happened and never happened. And eventually it emerged that the lead developer had, had left the, the company and he they got him into an interview uh, in which he basically admitted that it was all just a, essentially a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> um, and so, and at, so... That, at that point, yeah, Steam refunded purchases. And I, then I think I assume went after him for the, the balance. But that's a really extreme case. It, yeah, it is. I mean, there's another game that I found called Earth Year 2066, which I'd never heard of. Before. Mm. Um, but uh, it sounds quite similar because it was it was put on Steam's early access, um, you know, in, in, the, in the classic way as well. That I think they put up a roadmap and said this is what the game was going to be like, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but then people who bought into it said it just it's just bug central, completely unplayable. A bunch of journalists got involved and said, you know, this is ridiculous. So they had to go at the developer, etc. Essentially, claiming that they were abusing the early access system, presumably along the lines of what you're saying, you know, they're trying to get money to either keep developing or just to get money and 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 run for, run for it. I don't know, um, but Valve, so the, the company that own Steam, uh, removed the title, uh, and they and again they refunded the people who bought it. And it's it's quite funny they then said Steam does require honesty from developers in the marketing of their games. Um, we're not okay with the people lying, <laughs> which is which is good of them. But but what I think is interesting there is that those are obviously two examples of abject failures of of any games distribution system. Um, and it very much sounds like Steam here picked up the 
the cost, right? They had sure. to reimburse the people who bought it. So I guess there's a question in there of, does early access make sense as long as there is a middleman distributor that can cover any potential maybe you know, fuck-ups? And, maybe, and but then, but then you look at... Sorry, I interrupted you. Maybe, but then you look at a game like Insta- Interstellar Marines, for example, and that entered early access in July 2013. So again, seven months after the early access program launched. And it's just still in early access. I spent eight, nearly eight years in early access. But what um, are its reviews like? Do you know? Uh, actually, no, that's a really good question. I should have checked that. I, quick ad lib. <laughs> we bring you these commercials. Uh, uh, we interrupt our uh, regularly scheduled broadcast. It's your first thing that popped up on Steam for me. There was Ark Survival, which I think is also still early access. <laughs> so all reviews mixed, recent reviews, mostly negative. Oh, dear. And it's oh, on dear. at, depending on which edition you buy, between £6.95 and £29.95. Okay, massive range. Uh, and it's still in early access. It's still in early access. And is there an obvious roadmap? Is there a release date of this game? Is it ever going to leave early access? Well, this is the complicating factor. So according to Steam, its release date is the 2nd of July 2013, because that's when it went into early access. Yes, and I noticed it with some other games, you know, and it really winds me up that so, it's not a release date if it's early access. Well, there's a really, yeah, there's, there's something to come on to about, there's, there's no really big question around when do games release? Um, but so in 2016, we started looking for a publisher investor to fund the completion of Interstellar Marines and help us release out of early access and port onto PS4 and Xbox One. Once we've finalized an investment or publishing agreement, we estimate 17 months from that date or until Interstellar Marines is completed. Now, obviously, it's now five years after they started looking for a publisher investor. So this game is never getting released. No. That's, no. that's, that's what and, I'm reading. Yeah, but I think then this is clearly what Steam is saying, right? This, this is a, a case where a game may never be, quote-unquote, finished, right? But there is still a product that you can buy and yeah. play, and you just have to be aware that that gameplay, much like a full-release game, might just be no good. Right, we we've talked about back in the day where you would use, where, you know, you buy a cartridge, you'd buy a disc, you'd buy something. That is the final release of that game. It does yeah. not guarantee that that game is good. No, but you can at least. I think. Where does it get complicated? It gets complicated when the roadmap is really promising, right? Sure. And I, I don't want to go there yet because it's completely out of. Any any vague idea of structure, but the really obvious difficult example here is Star Citizen, right? Because the roadmap <laughs> for that game is bonkers, phenomenal. That if it ever actually gets released, it'll just be probably the best video game ever made. Yeah, but it's right? bonkers. <laughs> it's completely insane, but it's also like just a completely unfinished game at this stage and costs insane money to buy into and i'm still not 100 percent convinced it's not a ponzi scheme as well yeah do you have any idea what what state that game is in currently because all i've all i really know about it is is some crazy numbers i um, i was i was chatting about it before we came on let me just find the conversation it essentially i think is you can screw around in it, but it's very clearly an unfinished game. I asked someone to give it a, a 1 to 10 rating at the moment, and it got 4.5. And this That's person had great. spent the wrong side of $1,000 on it. Yeah, and I think when you're starting to throw amounts of money around like that, you're doing it in... Well, maybe not so much the knowledge, but at least in the hope that eventually this will be a worthwhile investment, right? Yeah, that's absolutely what. But, but that's that's right. I think at that point you have to look at it as an investment, 
and then it should but it should come with all of the financial promotions language that people seeking investment are required to put capital at risk value of investment can go up or down obviously they don't quite work for early access but it really worries me that star citizen i was on its website earlier today doesn't have a massive you know stamp across the whole screen going this game is unfinished it may never be finished it's been in development i think for the last 30 years like and it's showing yeah. no sign of being completed yeah. no and that, and i think that is problematic hmm. do you know the most money you can spend in star citizen oh do i want to know $27,000. Sorry? So, apparently... If US want, dollars. US dollars. If you want access... Yes, sorry, we are jumping around... Um, we are jumping around currencies here. But no, $27,000 US dollars to get full access to everything in the game now and forever. Twenty-seven. Thousand dollars. Yes, the single most expensive asset on the in the game was a ship, a single ship that cost three thousand dollars. <laughs> absolute lunacy. Twenty-seven thousand dollars is a house deposit. Three thousand dollars on a single. Ship in a game. Single I mean, do ship. they send you the full working version of the ship for that? Money? No, uh, that's the most ridiculous thing. That ship's not actually in the game yet. It's a promise that when they make that ship, you can use it. Yeah. yeah okay. Well, that's. And I. Well, I mean, that's bad. But I don't, I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that's bad because it's early access. That's no. that's just that's just a ludicrous. Business just model in the first place. <laughs> I mean, this this is loot crates taken to the max. Uh, yeah, you know, instead of instead of leaving it up to chance, you know, where where you you spend say five dollars on a crate and you might get a ship worth three thousand dollars, they just say no, 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 just give us three thousand dollars and we will give you the ship. Which would be fair enough. They're taking out the gambling element, but still, three thousand dollars on a single item in a game. But. That's but you are, you are you are gambling because the game might never fin be finished. Yeah, no, that, that's that's very true. That's very true. Um, hmm, yeah, is that is that paid to win then as well? Do you think? I mean, if I've spent three thousand dollars on an asset for a multiplayer video game and I'm not winning, I'm going to be grumpy. Yeah, I can imagine. So it has to. And, be and you think to if win, if right? a few people check in $27,000. Surely they can finish the game with that money. I I don't know no? I, I don't know I don't know how far away from finished it is. I mean if it's only getting 4.5 out of 10 from someone who's sunk I genuinely don't know the amount of money but four figures into it. Like it I don't know how, they could be millions away. Yeah. No that that <sighs> That, that, right. that to me seems like a really extreme mm. case no, I because I mean that's that's a ludicrous setup for any game. <laughs> no, I think, I think you're three thousand right. dollars. I've I've not spent that much on games in my life. <sighs> I think you might be surprised. Um, no, uh, I, I I think those three, so Interstellar Marines, Goddess, and Star Citizens, are for different reasons. Uh, sorry, and Earth twenty sixty six are for, for different reasons, the real extremes. The the issue that I think I still have is all of the little ones, all of the little $10 games, 15 quid games that are made with basic assets in Unity, very little time, very little effort, get put into early access with a bare bones roadmap and then abandoned. And then two years after they've generated revenue, the developers yeah. say, oh, sorry, actually, it turns out the, the, the appetite isn't here. And then they pop up in another game in another few years doing exactly the same thing. Uh, and that's yeah. where I think there's a real problem. And uh, I'm tempted to agree. And I think the the question for me there is, do they get more revenue by saying, here is an unfinished early access game, here's our roadmap, buy into it in the hopes that this will actually turn out to be 
the game that you're interested in. And they, and they sort of do that because they know that people will buy that more than if you say, here's just a really kind of shit game that we've made. Mm. As you say, just with some basic Unity assets. You know, $10 and you can play around for an hour. I think they do, must do. So do you think that they're using the early access brand almost as a means to make more money? So I think that what the early access brand lets you do is release an obviously unfinished game with a roadmap, which in and of itself I don't know is necessarily a problem, although I'd quite like someone to just sell me a finished game at some point in the not too distant Sure, but is it it necessarily too different from saying, here's our final release game, here are the DLCs we have planned? No, so what what I was going to say, though, is... The problem is that a lot of... I, I feel like a lot of those unfinished games, the, the, everyone knows that... Everyone on the developer end knows the roadmap is a lie, or if not a lie, so wildly aspirational as to never happen. I think that's where it's a problem. Because I think that people yeah. buy into aspiration. Star Citizen's the obvious example of that. And yes, it's at the far, far end of the bell curve. But... That is that I think is proving is Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven is another example. People buy hype. Obviously, Cyberpunk didn't go into early access, but it's still part of this. They re- you you release bits of a game. Here's a little bit of the combat engine. Here's vaguely how we want base building to work. Here's some of the assets that we got someone on Fiverr to make. And you see, but and yeah, that's, that's enough to get it into early access. And that... no, I I agree with you. And I, and I, but I th- I, um, I I think there's just not enough legal technicality around all this, right? Because be because right. because what you're essentially describing to me sounds like it's just uh, game developers operating in bad faith. You know, this is they they've released something they know is not finished. They they've probably know is never going to be finished in order to just make money that they might reinvest in another project. I think you're absolutely right. I think there's there's a load of games. I, can't, I Honestly, I can't remember the the titles and it's really bugging me. But there's this, I think, three games that are called like, this isn't right, but like City Builder, Vikings, City Builder, Egyptians, City Builder Greeks. <laughs> I, I yeah. think it's something like that. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I and they, they are all in early access. They all went into early access on the same day. And they're all in for about like 15 quid. And they're the same game with slightly different asset packs. And none of them are fin- look finished. None of them have a particularly compelling roadmap. And I would stake good money. None of them will ever be finished. Right? Because it, and that's the problem. And yes, I think that is game developers just acting in bad faith. Yeah. Or not even bad faith. It's just fraud. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, that's dangerously close to where, we, where we're at with that sort of thing, isn't it? I think. Uh, so. But, and I think it's, I think it's the, the purpose with which they, they do it. Because when you mentioned Cyberpunk in 2077, I mean, it obviously, as you say, it didn't. It wasn't early access, but it wasn't what you might call a polished game. I think it was technically finished <laughs> when they when they launched it, but it launched as version one. Put it that way. It launched as version one, but this is this is unfortunately much more commonplace now, where you, where games developers launch a game and instantly have to patch it. Uh, and but this is that's a whole different discussion. Um, and it's yeah, I think it's the bad faith element. And it as a consumer, I think you get it's really difficult, right? Because when you're looking at games like say City Planner, well, let's just call it that. <laughs> I'm not sure city, it is called that. City Planner city. Greeks <laughs> sounds phenomenal. I, I'd lo- I love a good city building game. Oh, exactly. I love Greeks. Uh, put the two together, that sounds like a game that I might want to play. I'm not a very smart consumer. I look at that and go, ah, perfect, that's exactly what I need. It turns out to be shit, I've wasted my money. Hmm. Is that my fault? 
hard to know. Steam would say yes. Steam would say yes. But then equally, you know, uh, I go on Steam. Uh, I look at Bannerlord. Mountain Blade, exactly. Bannerlord 2. Or I look at Baldur's Gate 3. Both obviously not the first games in their series. Both made by semi-reputable developers. I know. Both early access. You know. And Baldur's Gate 3, I think, costs some phenomenal amount of money. Isn't it like 50 pounds? I think it's 50 quid. Yeah, And it's not finished. Ba- At least Bannerlord last I checked. Bannerlord isn't far off that either, I don't think. Uh, but does Bannerlord have a story? Because BG3, uh, you're, you're going to play it because it's a story. Like, it's an RPG, right? <laughs> if, if Bannerlord is anything like um, Warband, it has the, the bare bones of a story that you can do something with if you want. But no, Bannerlord's 40 quid. Yeah, so so there there's two games which are in early access, cost a lot of money for a lot of people, um, and you know they're just not finished. No, and and there's an argument to be said taking taking Baldur's Gate that the reason Baldur's Gate was put into early access was so that people could play it. Because sure. It's 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 Larian who are doing it, isn't it? The same people who did Divinity. Yes, I think so. Yeah. So it will be finished. I think they put both Divinities through. Um, sorry, both original sins through early access as well. Yeah, I and think that is do, something yeah. that we need to come on to all of the success stories. But Baldur's Gate Three is going to be finished, and when it's finished, it'll probably be a pretty decent game because Baldur's Gate One and Two were very good, and Divinity Original Sin and Divinity Original Sin Two are both very good, very popular, very well-received games. So putting Baldur's Gate 3 into early access is just, look, guys, here's an unfinished game. Go have fun while we finish it. We know it's buggy. We know it's missing entire classes from 5th edition. It's missing entire character customization options, what have you. That's coming, and because we're who we say we are, you can be comfortable that that's going to be the case. See, but what I what I think is is a little backwards about that, right? Because the way I think early access would work really well for a game like Baldur's Gate Three is if they had developed the entire engine, worked out bugs insofar as possible, put in all the classes, all the customization mm-hmm. options, and then just not have finished the story, right? Because yeah, if it's no, anything like Divinity Original Sin Two, which I'm currently playing, it is going to be difficult. It's going to take a long time. It will take you ages and ages and ages before you get far into the game, at which point the developers could spend the time while the game is already sort of out in early access to finish the story, but have a fully functioning game in the background. I I, I agree with with that. Sort of like when you're downloading, especially on consoles, some games, you can play Act 1 while it downloads Acts 2 and 3 in the background. Exactly, exactly. It's it's like a... it's, It's, It's that just one step removed. It, well, yeah, yeah. while we finish acts two and three in the background. But I think the, it, the the problem there probably is if they market it like that, right? You know, play act one, mm. then A, you get an episodic game, uh, like those uh, Walking Dead ones and the Game of Thrones ones. I forget the developer. They're, they're really good. Yeah, Telltale, exactly. Um, which is fine. You, you can but make would that be game. a bad thing? Not necessarily. I'd pay, I'd pay three lots of 20 quid for Baldur's Gate 3 part one, 3 part two, and 3 part three. Yeah, I agree. And they've just sold me 10 quid more than I'm going to pay for Baldur's Gate 3 whenever it comes out. I agree. <laughs> but I guess I guess the, the risk they run in that scenario is that a bunch of people spend 20 quid on the first one and then that's it. Yes, that's absolutely right. But then at, at that point, they can just can part three and, and cut their losses. Right, so I mean, can you imagine the, the fallout? Yeah, well, maybe that's exactly the reason why they don't do that, and they go for early access instead. <laughs> mm, no, that's that's potentially true. I mean, okay, let's approach from the other side of, of the fence, because we, we've talked very negatively about all of we this. We have done. Uh, whereas we should be both be up front and say that we've actually recently enjoyed, you know, a, a particular early access game rather a lot, to the extent yeah. where I, I hadn't even realised it was an early access. No, but isn't that sort of the point... Like, well, maybe, maybe not. I suppose, uh, but then, but then you wonder why is it still in early access? 
I mean, it's, it's buggy. That's <laughs> probably why. One, it, one, it's buggy. <laughs> Two, there are definitely unfinished systems in there, I, I think. The game we're referring to is, is Valheim. Sorry, yeah, no, we're talking about, talking about <laughs> Val, Valheim. Which uh, is... Uh, we're riding that wave of game. populism. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you get to play as a dead Viking making their way in Valheim, you know, kind of Minecrafty with building things, fighting things. It's really good fun up until a wolf comes back, you know, comes from behind you and just kills <laughs> you instantly. Five yeah. times in a row. Um, great game. Still in early access. And I personally, if if they had never told me that it was an early access game, I'm not sure I would have minded. No, I think that's that's probably fair. If if I was playing Valheim thinking this is as good as it's ever going to get, for what it is, I'd probably be happy with my purchase. But yeah. so why so why is it in early access? I guess the answer is because the developers think there's more they can do with the game. Sure. I don't know. I don't know. Do you know whether they've got content expansions planned, or is this just a really long beta test? Uh, yeah, no, it's it's an excellent question. I don't know why. What I do know is it updates a lot. It does um, update an awful lot. But that's but that's nothing special. I mean, I'm looking at my yeah. Steam now, and Warhammer Vermintide Two is updating. That game came out what 2017. Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege is updating. That game came out. 2015 or something stupid sure games update constantly and this is not just new content but they're still fixing bugs if you're a creative assembly you're you're fixing bugs that you introduced in the last dlc with the new (laughs) dlc you know it's it's this it's this ever ongoing cycle of things by the way creative assembly send us our press copies of warhammer 3 we'll give you whatever kind of review you want absolutely i can already (laughs) tell you warhammer 3 is amazing send game please um so, so when it comes to something like Valheim, I honestly don't know. Um, and I played Subnautica, I think, when it was still in early access, and I really enjoyed that game. I mean, I could have just timed that perfectly, where they may, may have finished it and pushed the final updates as I was sort of playing that. Um, but no, it's. Um, I, I wanted to. I wanted to 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 do this. There's there's a really there's a list, and we're, I'm going to miss some off this list, but some really phenomenally popular uh, games that have come through the Early Access program. And a really small selection of those are Hades, which is a genuinely exceptional roguelite or roguelike. Kerbal Space Program, which is just some of the most fun you can have with physics ever. Absolutely. And that's another one where they're still updating it constantly. Mm. Yeah. They are. They're also making KSP2, which I am unbelievably excited about because I haven't fired little green men into the sun for a while. New developer, though, so we'll... Is it? That's a bit concerning. Prison Architect went through early access. That's a really good game that you can just waste a bit of time in. RimWorld went through early access, which I can't get into, but I am assured by everyone who likes it that it's amazing. Subnautica, as you've mentioned, and then this, which I didn't know. This you said this, uh, player unknown battlegrounds. Was yeah, how crazy is that, right? PUBG. Nominated. Sorry, yeah, you say it. yeah, yeah. No, you, you, you sorry, uh, you're quite right. It was it was nominated for a Game of the Year award while still in early access. Uh, this was the Game Awards 2017, and I, and I think it caused a bit of a ruckus because. That's that's that really is quite problematic, isn't it? When people are now starting to say, "This game is really, really, really good," but it's not finished. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I confess I've n- I've never played PUBG because uh, all I knew from it when it first came out was that it was a bug fest and hilarious because of that. Um, but clearly, it was a very, very good game. So, yeah, yeah, I- as you say, examples of when early access seemingly works rather well so i guess my question then becomes are there any of those games that don't happen without early access exactly and that's absolutely the right question to ask and i don't know the answer to that i'm gonna say definitely kerbal space program doesn't happen if you don't get early access 
because the amount of resort or it, you don't get KSP in the way in the in the form that it is. No, you might get the sandbox to play in, but you wouldn't get the fleshed out career mode, all the mod support that it has, all of that. I don't think you get that, and I think that's because it the game itself was such a financial risk. I imagine that it needed to go into early access so that you could spread out your development costs and sort of manage your cash flow. And that is what early access gives you from a business perspective. It gives you that control, not control, but that smoothing of cash flow that small developers do need. No, absolutely. Um, And looking at it now, KSP sold millions of copies in in early access on Steam. But I think it's it's a game that, probably quite uniquely lends itself to something like early access, right? Because all you really need to convince people that it's a fun game is Kerbin, as in Earth, mm-hmm. some fundamental rocket components, all the physics, which I'm sure they had, and then, say, the moon and... Um, what's the other one called? Minmus. Minmus, yeah, the ice cream. The <laughs> the orbiting ice cream. Because the, yeah, then you the have enough minutes. of a challenge for yeah. players. You know, build some rockets, uh, go into orbit, whatnot, go to the moon... And then because people enjoyed that, they've paid money to play that game, they can develop it and they, and they built a whole solar system. And more rocket parts, the ability to build bigger spaceships, all of this can be features that are coming. Yeah. But in that scenario, uh, and obviously I, I don't know how this, how this happened at the time, but you are essentially paying full price for a demo. Oh, yes. So why don't they just say, give us 10 quid for this game now, and then on full release, pay the extra however much? A bit like you and, and your Baldur's Gate. You know, what? Three installments of 20, uh, 20 quid. But, but didn't, didn't you answer that? I did, yeah. It, 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 it puts People the risk back it. on the developer, potentially. Exactly. But, but you, do, you do get that smoother cash flow, which, which I was talking about, which I, I can't stress enough is so important for small companies because yes. managing cash flow is phenomenally difficult. But then we're essentially just playing the stock markets, aren't we, with, with games? This is, this is uh, cryptocurrency it, at its finest. I'm not sure that's fair. I, I, I see what you're saying. I'm not sure that's entirely fair. It's, it's much more... Um, I, I guess it is to an extent. I'm focusing on it not so much from the risk perspective, but from the the... the difficulty of if you're a small developer not used to managing cash flow how you actually pay for a launch because what you essentially need to do is either find an investor willing to lend you uh, sorry willing to invest in your company for all of the development costs which you because you're a small developer you probably don't know you have a vague idea but that's all uh, or you find a sure. bank willing to lend you the money at an exorbitant interest rate because you're a small sure. developer with no track record. But why don't you crowdfund? Go on Kickstarter, go on any of and those Some people do. Some people do crowdfund. But, I mean, Kickstarter takes a cut. True. Is, is, but, but so does Steam. So, so then is, is the, the soundbite argument for this perhaps that early access is the only way for small developers to survive in the I, face of I what is now right. a, a world full of, you know, your EAs, which is confusingly named when you're talking about early access, your Activisions, your Ubisofts, your whatnot. I, I, think, I think you've got a good point there. So th- this, is, this is an almost institutionalized way of crowdfunding independently developed games or, or games developed by smaller developers. Because I could get on board with that, you know? As long as you realise that you as the consumer are taking a bit of a risk with your money. So I, I'm about to go off on one here, but I, I, I completely agree with you. No, 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 no. I completely <laughs> agree with you. Not off on one in, a, in an anger sense, just on a wild tangent. The, the, the real problem here is that we don't properly, at least in the UK, we don't properly teach in school the legal concept caveat emptor, buyer beware, right? We think that when we buy a product, the onus is on the seller of that product to be open and honest with us, which it sort of is, but more fundamentally than that, the onus is on the buyer to ask the questions that the buyer needs to ask in order to satisfy the buyer that they are buying 
what they think they are buying and that it is a good thing. Yes. Right. So th- this is this is why um, in house, uh, if you're buying a house, for example, you as the buyer get a survey done, and then you ask the bar- the seller questions based on the results of the survey, because yes. the seller is under no obligation to volunteer information to you. Well, and and if you think about it, that makes total sense. Yeah, and, it, and it also makes total sense to the buyers at that point because you're, you're forking a lot of money. You want to make sure that you're you're buying something uh, valued according uh, accordingly. Uh, but the interesting thing is that when you when you're talking about much less money, you know, say ten pounds, all that logic seems to go completely out the window. Absolutely, and you, and you start getting this mentality of oh, the customer is always right, even though the customer is an absolutely no due diligence and just you know, says, this is what I expected, you know, well, tough shit. <laughs> you, know, right. you could have looked and, into this and found out that that's not what we were offering. And, and Kickstarter, I think, is a really good counterpoint to, to this because Kickstarter vets its people, sorry, Kickstarter vets people who are doing Kickstarters really carefully and is really, really, really strict about what you can do with the money that you get from a Kickstarter hmm. and the updates that you have to give and what you have to do if your Kickstarter falls over, right? And and if you have Kickstarters that fall over, it becomes harder and harder to do other Kickstarters in the future. And I don't get the sense that Steam has that. Yeah, we've got that comment from Earth 2066 about, was it Steam does require honesty from developers in the marketing of their games. I mean, that's almost so obvious as it shouldn't need to be said. <laughs> yes, Steam, I'm really happy to hear that you require... The, the people who place who, who use your platform to market their games to me and from which you take a 30% cut of all revenue, you require them to not lie to me. Thank you. But I'd, I'd sort of like you to do a little bit more than that. And does this give us another problem, which is Steam, Steam is too big. Mm, well, that's a separate issue altogether, I think. It, it is, but let's say... And it's not just Steam doing it, right? Because isn't Hades an Epic Games game? I think Hades is available on Steam as well. Oh, I, I have it on Epic, um, because I think so I, got it for, I got it for free on Epic. Um, well, they did us some great giveaways uh, that Christmas. 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 I think giveaway. if you want to hit us up, you know, put your letter <laughs> in with, with that of Creative Assembly. Uh, no, you can buy you can buy Hades on um, on Steam, but I mean ultimately, putting a pin in, in the whole Steam is too big thing. Well, just because that, be- that also has we, its positives. Yeah, just okay, before go, we go put on. a pin in that, the reason that I say is the problem that Steam is too big because if Steam were slightly smaller, and Epic, as an example, were saying we also have an early access program. And we're way more diligent in the people that we let into yeah, our early pro- access program than Steam is. Then you've got a comp- competitive marketplace for early access, and that I think would work because that would force Steam to be more um, absolutely. I mean, something tells me that Epic well. Games is not the answer to to diligence. No, I, I don't. I don't know that Epic is is the answer. Maybe Good Old Games is the. Do we still call Maybe. it? Is it just GOG now? I don't know. Um, but a, a counter-argument in terms of why Steam being so big is potentially good. I mean, I'm looking at Baldur's Gate 3 now, right? It's got 36,450 all-time reviews. That's, yeah. And it's very positive. Right? So, so, so I can look at this now and say, okay, I'm, I'm interested to buy it. It quite clearly says to me it's an early access game. And it explains it all, all about that. But it, it still has the reviews and still has that thing that I'm familiar with with Steam that says, okay, users seem to like it. It's got all the info, et cetera, et cetera. I can make what I believe to be a a relatively informed decision on that. That and that does make sense to me. That does that does make make sense to me. And the other the other side of that, going back to our uh, early access is good for small developers. Valheim sold two million copies in two weeks. And it was made by five yeah. people in a shed. Basically. Exactly. Exactly. Which I think is also what KSP was, right? Squad, I think, consisted of maybe like three guys. 
Um, so, yeah, that's so, roughly so, 100, $100 million of revenue in two weeks. Okay, so then if, if, if I came to you tomorrow and said, Ubisoft have just launched an early access Assassin's Creed, would yeah. you be okay with that? No. I mean, it can't be any buggier than their normal releases. <laughs> <laughs> Ubisoft releases just they never they never get fully released. <laughs> uh, no, I think um, I think if you're not a but then but then everyone seems and I think I'm probably I'm not super happy with it, but most people seem okay with the idea of Baldur's Gate being in early access. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think there's an element of, of you can maybe get better marketing windows. You know, you release an early access game at a time where you think it's going to be more beneficial for you than waiting and and not fully releasing. Um, yeah. But I think the the capital that a developer has is is clearly some sort of factor in this. I think it has to be. I don't. I don't think that's. Yeah. I don't think Electronic Arts would ever go into something and think we're going to make this an early access build right because they can no. they can smash out a fully fu- you know quote-unquote functioning game in eight months because i don't know they're sitting on an army of developers and whatnot i guess is my my feeling on this and and some studios clearly just don't don't like the model i mean you look at santa monica studios look at naughty dog studios they're like they're making story-based games that they just want to release finished, and they're award winning because they're that good when they finally when they get released. But, but isn't there? I'm going to go all philosophical and romantic here again. I apologize in advance, but shouldn't that be the base? Just make a product that you can be proud of and release it to the market and hope that the market loves it as much as you do. Don't sure, sure, but but you have to have the means to do that, right? And I think those studios probably subsidized by Sony in the first place and be because they make such incredible games super lucrative like Rockstar I think you you could argue is still a relatively small developing studio second they largest make... developer in the UK <laughs> okay but, fair no, enough. You're, you're right, you're <laughs> but right. they make two franchises right but both yeah. franchises are so unbelievably well made that they make billions and billions of pounds Maybe just a billion pounds. I can't remember how much. But like <laughs> GTA Five made an obscene amount of money. You're right. You are right. So I, I uh, we've kind of gone around in circles now because I, I sort of started thinking I'm not sure I like early access, but I, I think it it does have its merits. I think I still don't like it, but I think that my problem is with its implement. The more I think about it, my problem is with its implementation rather than it, the fact of its existence. I, I would agree with that, I think, yeah. But, but we, have, we have touched on something else, and I think we'll probably... We, I think we need to do an, an episode on the Cyberpunk launch, perhaps titled How Not to Do Video Games. Yes. But, but just to touch on something really, really lightly that you said a lot earlier, no game is ever released complete no and the uh, like this idea that and we we see it i've seen it already talking about warhammer 3 um i hope that this thing that has been showcased gets fixed in a patch well the game is not out yet why are we talking about <laughs> fixing but patching a game that doesn't exist yet yeah like, yeah just, you you go back to cyber cyberpunk had a day one patch that was as big as the game yeah that that's crazy so actually t- let's talk creative assembly very briefly before you before you wrap up i think i think so the total really war series here, yeah yeah total war series absolutely fantastic and to be fair to creative assembly when they release the game that's the release of the game sure you know, and and you either like it you don't like it you know looking at thrones of britannia um <laughs> For example, when Warhammer Two comes out, right, that is the release of the game, um, and the, you know there, there's some bug fixes because you know games are massive nowadays, and I'm sure that there are some bugs that that slip through. And I think I think just I think that is something that people miss when they complain about how buggy games are now compared with games absolutely 10 years ago. Games today you know, are infinitely more complicated, gigantic. I mean, we're talking like a hundred gigabytes for some of these games now. <laughs> absolutely li- ridiculous. But I think. 
when when so when Creative Assembly releases that game, they they are saying this is the finished game, and obviously they, they don't just throw it out there and say we're never going to touch this ever again. No, they fix it, and they have teams that continue to work on these games. And, and I sort of liken that to um, to a phase four clinical trial, which I think a lot of people don't really know is a thing. Right, we talk about our phase one, phase two, phase three, and then at phase three, the drug gets passed and approved and gets used, and you know, took COVID vaccines, for example. Yes. But the phase, the phase four is essentially the ongoing soft trial, almost afterwards, where you know it's out there in the circulation, and because there's now more users, you can just continue to review the mm. the, the the game in this case and say. Uh, you know, Kimmy, we didn't quite get the balance right on these swordsmen versus these spearmen. And so why don't we try and patch that and, and play around with it? And I think that's a very natural way of doing something that Early Access seemingly tries to do, but with a fully finished game. I think that makes sense. I guess it's like, uh, I, I, to be honest, vaguely knew about Phase 4 trials, but I'd never heard it described in that way. I assume that's sort of where the... Uh sort of where the um, blood clots thing for the COVID vaccine came in. That was the extent, yeah. O- I mean, it only really became known when it was being given to so many people that more exactly. things were being picked up on that could possibly have been seen in. So many phase. people and for, you know, and, and how else are you going to find things, you know, 10 years after the fact? <laughs> You've got to give it to people and then wait 10 years, you know? You're not, you're not going to do a phase three trial like that. But apparently, you know, if you are... Uh, Interstellar Marines. That's exactly your <laughs> your MO. <laughs> you, you you do a phase three trial of your game for eight years and then never release it. Um. <laughs> two two other things just before we wrap it up. The first thing is humankind's open devs, which is pay to pre-order the game. And at specific points, we might give you access to a very specific dev build of the game and ask you to test stuff. Yeah, kind of We're, like a an open, it's an open beta. Test. Yeah, yeah. Which I think I have no problem with. If they're that upfront about it, then you know yeah. exactly what you're doing, right? <laughs> it, it's pre-order the game. You you do not. I don't have a playable copy of Humankind on my laptop. Because the, the open dev closed because they got the data that they were after. Yeah. Um, the pr- the problem there is then if if you do that and then they release the game early access, then I think you'll feel shortchanged. Fair. No, I think you're probably right. I will do, but I don't think they will. Um, well, let's hope not. <laughs> I mean, they, they pushed back the release. Uh, and the other thing uh, is just before we came on air, I I tweeted asking people for their, their views on, on early access. Uh, it turns out I got my, the timing of my tweet wrong because we've only had one response. Um, but I said, I asked, first question uh, to the hive mind, early access, yay or nay? What's your best early access experience or your worst? And friend of the show, Sleek Otter, responds, yay. Early access can be an effective way to give backers of indie projects an understanding of what the game might be like and provide funding to continue development. There needs to be a clear understanding that you are relying on the devs' goodwill to deliver, though, which, one, might be the most coherent tweet I've ever seen, so kudos for that. Uh, but two, I think that, that, that's what we were saying, I think. That's um, yeah, he's, quite he's, a he's... succinct way of putting what we, the conclusion that we think we've come to. Kind of... Inception. He's he's concluded our episode before we recorded the episode. <laughs> so thank you, Sleek Otter. Yes, it's a great name, by the way. And actually, uh, so I think that's us. Thanks to thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of Expertise is Overrated. But no doubt, we've said some things that were either objectively wrong or downright offensive. We are very happy, though, to announce the launch of the Expertise is Overrated Discord server. The link for this is in the description of this and every episode going forward, and we hope it proves to be a fun place where we can hang out and chat about our favourite fantasy or sci-fi theories with you. So do check it out and let us know what you think. Also, as ever, feel free to let us know what you thought about this podcast 
rate the podcast and leave us a comment or drop us an email at expertiseisoverrated at gmail.com or tweet us at zero expertise. Or you can also check out our website, expertiseisoverrated.podbean.com. And if you're lucky, we might just argue with you in one of our upcoming episodes. And if you're really lucky, we might call you an idiot. Now, in our next episode, we're going to be discussing just how weird family trees in the Tolkienarium are, especially when you start factoring in immortality. Join us then for more nonsense. <laughs>